Hello, I'm Byron Reese. I am the host of Voices in AI. If you're interested in the topics we discuss in these podcasts, I'd urge you to check out my newest book. It's called The Fourth Age. It's about conscious computers and artificial intelligence and the future of work and jobs and all of the topics we cover here on Voices in AI. It comes out uh, next spring, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon or wherever else you order books from. This is Voices in AI, brought to you by GigaOM, and I'm Byron Reese. Today, our guest is Roman Yampolsky, a professor in the Department of Computer Engineering and Computer Science at the Speed School of Engineering at the University of Louisville. He is the founding and current director of the Cybersecurity Lab and an author of many books, including Artificial Superintelligence, A Futuristic Approach. His main areas of interest are AI safety and cybersecurity. He is the author of over 100 publications and his research has been cited by over a thousand scientists around the world. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Let's just jump right in. You're in the camp that um, we have to be cautious with artificial intelligence uh, because it could actually be a, uh, a threat to our survival. Can you just, just start right there and, and what, what's your thinking? How do you see the world? Well, it's not very different than any other technology. Any advanced technology can be used for good or for evil purposes. The main difference with AI is that it's not just a tool, it's actually an independent agent making its own decisions. So if you look at the safety situation with other independent agents, take for example, animals. We are not very good at uh, making sure that there are no accidents with uh, pit bulls, for example. Uh, we have some approaches to doing that. We can put them in a leash, put them in a cage. But at the end of the day, if the animal decides to attack, it decides to attack. Uh, the situation is very similar with uh, advanced AI. We try to make it safe, beneficial, but since we don't control every aspect of its decision-making, it could decide to harm us in multiple ways. The way you describe it, you're using language that implies that, that the AI has volition, it has intentionality, it has wants, and it has... I mean, are, are you suggesting this intelligence is going to be conscious and self-aware? Consciousness and self-awareness are meaningless concepts in science. There is nothing we can detect or measure. Let's not talk about those things. I'm saying uh, specific threats will come from the following. One, mistakes in design. Just like with any software, you have computer bugs, you have misaligned values with human values. Two, uh, purposeful design of malevolent AI. There are people who want to hurt others, hackers, doomsday cults, crazies, they will on purpose design intelligence systems to distract, to kill. Uh, military is a great example. They found lots of research in developing killer robots. That's what they do. So those are some simple examples. Will AI decide to do something evil for the sake of doing evil? No. Will it decide to do something which has a side effect of hurting humanity? Quite possible. So, as you know, the, the range on when we might um, build an artificial general intelligence w range widely. Why do you think that is? And, and do you care to 
kind of throw your hat in that uh, in that lottery or that pool? Well, predicting future is uh, notoriously difficult. I don't uh, see myself as someone who has an advantage in that field, so I defer to others. People like Ray Kurzweil, who spend their life uh, building those prediction curves, exponential curves, with him being director of engineering at Google. I think he has pretty good inside access to the technology, and if he says, you know, something like 2045 is a reasonable estimate, I'll go with it. Uh, the reason people have different estimates is uh, the same reason we have uh, different betting patterns in the stock market or horses or anything else. Different experts give different weights to different uh, variables. You've advocated research into, quote, boxing artificial intelligence. What does that mean and how would you do it? In plain English, it means putting in prison, putting in a controlled environment. We already do it with computer viruses. When you study a computer virus, you put it in an isolated system, an air-gapped computer which has no access to internet, so you can study its behavior in a safe environment. You control environment, you control inputs, outputs, and you can figure out how it works, what it does, how dangerous it is. Same uh, makes sense for intelligence software. You don't want to just uh, run a test by releasing it on the internet and seeing what happens. You want to control the training data going in, that's very important. We saw some terrible uh, fiascos with the recent Microsoft chat software being released without any controls and users feeding it really bad data. Uh, you want to prevent that. So for that reason, I advocate having protocols, uh, environments in which AI researchers can safely test their software. Makes a lot of sense. So if the idea of a superintelligence how, I just, how much, in, in, when, you, when you think about the great range of like intellectual ability from, from, from the smallest and simplest creatures to us, how far, is there even an appropriate analogy for how smart a superintelligence could be? Is there any way for us to even think about that? I mean, is it that all of a sudden, like when my, uh, when my cat leaves a mouse on the back porch, uh, everything that cat knows is that I'm going to like that dead mouse, right? Like its entire view of the world is I'm going to want that. And it doesn't have even remotely the, the mental capability to understand why I might not. Um, is, is an AI, do you think, going to be that far advanced where we don't even, we can't even like communicate in the same sort of language because it's just a whole different thing? Eventually, yes. So initially, of course, we'll start with subhuman AI. Slowly, it will get to human levels, and very quickly, it will start growing almost exponentially until it's so much more intelligent. Uh, as you said, it may not be possible for us to understand what it does, how it does it, or even meaningfully communicate with it. You've launched a new field of study called intellectology. Can you talk about what that is and why, why you did that? Why you thought there was kind of a missing area in the science? Sure. Uh, there seems to be a lot of different subfields of science, all of them looking at different aspects of intelligence, how we can measure intelligence, build intelligence, human intelligence versus non-human intelligence, animals, aliens, communicating across uh, different species, 
Uh, forensic science tells us that we can look at an artifact and try to deduce the engineer behind it. What is the minimum intelligence necessary to make this uh, archaeological artifact? Uh, it seems to make sense to bring all those uh, different areas together under a single umbrella, single set of terms and tools so they can be reused and uh, benefit each field individually. So, for example, I look a lot at uh, artificial intelligence, of course, and studying this type of intelligence is not the same as studying human intelligence. That's where a lot of mistakes come from, assuming that human uh, drives, wants, and needs will be transferred. This idea of uh, kind of universe of different uh, possible minds uh, is part of this field. We need to understand that just like our planet is not... Uh, the middle of the universe, our intelligence is not the middle of that universe of possible minds. We're just one possible data point, and it's important to generalize outside of human values. So it's called intellectology. Do, we, don't, we don't actually have a consensus definition on what intelligence is. Do you, do you begin there with this is what intelligence is? And if so, what, what is intelligence? Sure. So there is a very good paper uh, published by one of the uh, co-founders of DeepMind, uh, which uh, surveys maybe, I don't know, a hundred different definitions of intelligence and tries to combine them. And the combination sounds something like intelligence is ability to optimize for your goals across multiple environments. You can say it's ability to win in any situation. And that's pretty general. So it doesn't matter if you are a human at a college trying to get a good grade, an alien on another planet trying to survive. It doesn't matter. The point is, if I throw a mind in that situation, eventually it learns to do really well across all those domains. We see AIs, for example, capable of learning multiple video games and performing really well. So that's kind of beginning of that uh, general intelligence increase in artificial systems. They are obviously not at the human level yet, but they're starting to be general enough where they can pick up quickly what to do in novel situations. And that's, I think, a very good and useful definition of what intelligence is uh, we can work with. One, one thing you mentioned in your um, book, Artificial Superintelligence, uh, is the notion of convincing robots to worship humans as gods. What, what, how, how would you do that and why that? And yeah, I don't mention it as a good idea or my idea. I kind of survey what people proposed, and it's one of the proposals. I think it comes from the field of theology, and I think it's quite useless. But uh, I, I mention it for the sake of uh, listing all the ideas people have suggested. Me and a colleague, we published a survey about possible solutions for dealing with superintelligence systems, and we reviewed some 300 papers, and I think that was one of them. I understand, all right. Because, uh, you know, there, the, all right. Um, what is AI completeness theory? So we think that there are certain problems which are fundamental problems. And if you can do one of those problems, you can do any problem. Basically, you are smart as a human being. And uh, it's useful to study those problems to understand what is the progress in AI and if we got to that level of performance. So in one of my publications, I talk about Turing test 
as being a fundamental first AI complete problem. If you can pass Turing tests, supposedly you're as intelligent as a human. Unrestricted tests, obviously not five-minute version of it, whatever is being done today. And uh, if that's possible, then you can do all the other problems. You can do computer vision, you can do translation, uh, maybe you can even do computer programming. So you also write about uh, machine ethics and robot rights. Can you, can you explore that for just a minute? Right. So uh, with regards to machine ethics, uh, the literature seems to be basically uh, everyone trying to propose that a certain ethical theory is the right one and we should implement it without kind of considering how it impacts everyone who disagrees with the theory. And philosophers have been trying to come up with a common ethical framework for millennia. We're not going to succeed in the next few years for sure. So my argument was that we should not even try to kind of pick one correct ethical theory. That's not a solution which will make all of us happy. And for each one of those ethical theories, uh, there are actually problems, well-known problems, which if a system with that type of power uh, is to implement that ethical framework, that's going to create a lot of problems, a lot of damage. Uh, with regards to rights for robots, uh, I was... Uh, advocating against giving them equal rights, human rights, voting rights. And the reasoning is quite simple. It's not because I hate robots, it's because they can reproduce almost infinitely. You can have a trillion copies of any software almost instantaneously. And if each of them has voting rights, that essentially means that humanity has no rights. We give away human rights. So anyone who proposes giving that type of civil rights to robots is essentially against human rights. That's a really bold statement. And, and is there anything? Well, I tell you what, let's, let's, let's underline that because I, I want to come back to it. But in order to do that, I want to return to the, the, the first thing I asked you, or one of the early things about consciousness and self-awareness. And you said, these aren't really scientific questions. And so let's not talk about them. But at least with self-awareness, that isn't the case, is it? I mean, there's, a, there's the, uh, the, the, the red dot test, where the mirror test, where purportedly you can put a, a spot on, on an animal's forehead while it's asleep and then it, if it gets up and sees that in a mirror and tries to wipe it off, it therefore knows that that thing in the mirror is it and it has a notion of self. It's a, it's a hard test to pass, but, but it is a scientific test. Um, right. So, and so we have a... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, so self-awareness is a scientific idea and... Would an artificial intelligence have that? So we have a paper uh, still undergoing review process which surveys every known test for consciousness. And I guess you include self-awareness with that. Um, all of them measure different correlates of consciousness. The example you give, yes, animals can recognize that it's them in the mirror. And so we assume that also means they have similar uh, consciousness to ours. But it's not the same for a robot. I can program a robot to recognize a red dot and assume that it's on its own forehead in five minutes. It's not in any way guarantee that it has any conscious or self-awareness properties. It's basically proving that we can detect red dots. But all, all you're saying is we need a different test for AI self-awareness. Not that AI self-awareness is a ridiculous question to begin with. 
I don't know what the definition of self-awareness is. If you're talking about some non-material, spiritual, self-consciousness thing, I'm not sure what it does or why it's useful for us to talk about it. Well, let's 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 ask a, a different question then. Um, so sentience is a word which I, I'm sorry, yeah, sentience is a word which is commonly misused. It's it's often used to mean intelligent, but it it simply means it's able to to sense something. Um, usually pain. And so the question of is a thing sentient is really important. Up until the 1990s, uh, in the United States, uh, veterinarians were taught not to anesthetize animals when they operated on them because uh, they couldn't feel pain, despite, you know, their cries and writhing and agony, apparent agony, I should say. Similarly, it wasn't until um, 20 or so years ago that uh, babies, human babies, were anesthetized to do open heart surgery on them because, again, the theory was that they were they couldn't feel pain. Uh, their brains just weren't well developed. The the notion of sentience we use we we put it in right near rights because we say you know if something can feel pain it has a right not to be tortured. Um, and wouldn't that be an equivalent with artificial intelligence? Shouldn't we ask can it feel pain and if it can. You don't have to say, oh, yeah, it should be able to vote for, um, you know, the, the, the leaders. But, uh, you know, you can't torture it. That would be just a reasonable thing, uh, a moral thing, an ethical thing to, to say. If it can feel, then you don't torture it. I can easily agree with that. We should not torture anyone, including any reinforcement learners or anything like that. To the best of my knowledge, there are two papers published on the subject of computer pain, like good papers, and both say it's impossible to do right now. Uh, it's impossible to human, measure? It's impossible to measure, or it's impossible for a computer to feel pain right now? It's impossible for us to program a computer to feel pain. Nobody knows how to do it, how to even start. It's not like with, uh, let's say, pattern recognition. We know how to start. We have some results. We get 10% accuracy. We work on it. We get to 15%, 40%, 90%. With artificial pain, nobody knows how to even start. What's the first line of code you write for that? There is no clue. With humans, we assume that other humans feel pain because we feel pain and we, ha we got similar hardware. But there is not a test you can do to measure how much pain someone's in. That's why we show patients those you know, 10 pictures of different screaming faces and like, well, how close are you to this picture or that one? This is all very kind of non-scientific measurement. So with humans, yes, obviously we know because we feel it, similar designs must also experience that. With machines, we have no way of knowing what they feel and no one, as far as I know, is able to say, okay, I programmed it so it feels pain because this is the design we use. There is just no ideas for how something like that can be implemented. So let's assume that's true for a moment. Um, the way that the way, in a sense, that you get to human rights is you start by saying that um, humans are self-aware, which, as you say, we can all self-report that. Um, not only are we self-aware, that implies we have a self. Uh, implying we have a self means that that self can feel. And that's when you get sentience in. And then you, you get up to sapience, which is intelligence. So that we have a self, that self can feel. And therefore, because that self can suffer, that self is entitled to some kind of rights. And you're saying, we don't know what that would look like in a computer and, and so forth. But, but and, and granting all of that for just a moment, 
there are those who say that human intelligence, anything remotely like human intelligence, has to have those building blocks because from self-awareness, uh, you get consciousness, which is a different thing. And consciousness is, in part, embodies our ability to change focus, to be able to do one thing and then, for whatever reason, do a different thing. It's, it's the way we switch and we go from task to task. And further, it's probably the way we draw analogies and so forth. So there is a notion that even to get to intelligence, to get to super intelligence, you, you don't just, you, there's no way to kind of cut all of that other stuff out and just go to an intelligence. Um, there are those who say you, you, you cannot do that, that all of those other things are components of intelligence. Is, but, but it sounds like you would disagree with that. And if so, um, why would that be? I disagree because we have many examples of humans who are not neurotypical. People, for example, who don't experience pain. They're human beings. They're intelligent. They certainly have full rights, but they never feel any pain. So that example that you must feel pain in order to reach those levels of intelligence is simply not true. And well, there are many other variations on... Human beings, for example, not having uh, visual thinking patterns. They think in words, not in images like most of us. So even that uh, goes away. We don't seem to have a guaranteed set of properties that a human being must have to be considered human. There are human beings who have very low intelligence, maybe you know, severe mental retardation. They are still human beings. So there are very different... Uh, standards for a getting human rights and be having all those properties right okay well um do you worry in a world of super intelligence so you write advocating uh, to use your words from earlier in this talk you write advocating putting the artificial intelligence in a prison is that really like is is that view of looking at it as we need to lock it up before we even make it is that really, like, um, in your mind, the best approach? I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was. Uh, we definitely need safety mechanisms in place. There are some good ideas we have for how to make those systems safer, but all of them require testing. Software requires testing. Before you run it, before you release it, you need a test environment. This is not controversial. What do you think of the open AI initiative, which is the idea that as we're building this, we ought to share, we ought to make it open source so that there's total transparency so that one bad actor doesn't get uh, an AGI and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? So this helps to distribute power amongst humans. So not a single person gets all the power, but a lot of people have access. But at the same time, it increases danger because all the crazies, all the psychopaths now get access to the cutting edge AI and they can use it for whatever purposes they want. So it's not clear cut, whatever is very beneficial or very harmful. And people disagree strongly on uh, open AI specifically. You don't think that the prospects for human humans to remain the dominant species on this planet are good. Um, I remember seeing an Elon Musk quote. He said, you know, the only reason we are at, at, the, at the top is because we're the smartest. And if, if we're not the smartest anymore, we're no longer going to be on top. Um, it sounds like you, you, you think something similar to that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, to paraphrase or quote directly from Bill Joy, uh, the future may not need us. And 
And and what what do you do about that? Well, that's pretty much all of my research. I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out if problem of AI control, controlling intelligent agents is actually solvable. A lot of people are working on it, but we never have actually established that it's possible to do. So I have some uh, theoretical results of mine and from other disciplines which show certain limitations to what can be done. It seems that intelligence and how controllable something is are inversely related. The more intelligent the system becomes, the less control we have over it. So things like babies have very low intelligence. We have almost complete control over them. As they grow up, as they become teenagers, they get smarter, but we lose more and more control. And with super intelligent system, obviously you have almost no control left. So let's back up now and, and look kind of at the kind of at the here and now and the, the implications. What do you think? There's a lot of debate about AI because there's a lot of, um, and not even talking about an AGI, but just all the stuff that's wrapped up in it about um, it's going, you know, automation, it's going to replace humans and you're going to have an unemployable group of people and social unrest and you, you know all of that. What, what are your thoughts on that? What, what do you see for the, for the immediate future of humanity? Right. So we're definitely going to have a lot of people lose their jobs. I'm giving a talk for a conference of accountants soon, and I have the bad news to share with them that something like 94% of them will lose their jobs in the next 20 years. Uh, It's the reality of it. Hopefully the smart people will find much better jobs, other jobs. But for many, many people who don't have uh, education, maybe don't have cognitive capacity, Uh, they will no longer be competitive in this economy. And we have to look at things like unconditional basic income, unconditional basic assets to kind of prevent revolutions from happening. And and would would you suppose that the cognitive revolution, like that AI is going to advance much faster than, than say, robots, which, you know, have all these physical constraints and, 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 can't just kind of double every 18 months and so forth. So do you, would you be of the mind that mental tasks, mental jobs are more at risk than physical jobs as a general group? It's more about how repetitive your job is. If you're doing something the same, whatever it's physical or mental, it's trivial to automate. If you're always doing something somewhat novel, now that's getting closer to AI completeness. Not quite, but in that direction. So it's much harder. Now there's a number of people, and, and I'm, I mean, I'll just set it up for the audience because I'm sure you know this, but that 250 years, this country, the, the West, we've had uh, economic progress, we've had technological revolutions that may arguably be on the same level as artificial intelligence. We have mechanization, the replacement of animal power, I mean, human power with animal power, the electrification of industry, the adoption of steam. I mean, all of these, these what appeared to be very disruptive technologies. And yet through all of that, unemployment, except for the Great Depression, never has bumped out of four to 9%, four to 9%, four to 9%. And you would assume if technology was able to rapidly displace people, that it would, it would be more erratic than that. You would have these, these massive transforming industries and then you would have some period of high unemployment and then you would, that would settle back down. And so, the, the, the theory around that would be that, no, the minute we build a new tool, humans just grab that thing and use it to increase their own productivity. 
And that's why, I mean, that's why you never have uh, anything out of four to 9% unemployment. So what's wrong with that logic in your mind? You are confusing tools and agents. AI is not a tool. AI is an independent agent, which can possibly use humans as tools, but not the other way around. So the examples of saying we had previous singularities, whatever it's agricultural or industrial, they're just wrong. You're comparing apples and potatoes, nothing in common. So help me understand that a little better. Unquestionably, technology has come along and you know, there are, I haven't met a telephone switchboard operator in a long time uh, or a travel agent or um, a stockbroker or um, a typewriter repairman. I mean, these were all jobs that were replaced by technology and, and, and whatever word you put on the technology doesn't really change that simple fact that, that technology came out and it, it was, it, it, it upset the apple cart in the employment world and yet unemployment never goes up. And so help me understand why AI is different again and forgive me. Sure. So let's say you here. have a job, you, you, you nail roofs to houses or something like that. And so we give you a new tool and now you can have a nail gun. And so you're using this tool, you become 10 times more efficient. And so nine, nine of your bodies lose jobs. You're using a tool. The nail gun will never decide to start a construction company and go into business on its own and fire you. The technology we're developing now is fundamentally different. It's an agent, it's capable, and I'm talking about future of AI, not AI of today. It's capable of self-improvement. It's capable of cross-domain learning. It's as smart or smarter as any human. So it's capable of replacing you. You become bottleneck in that hybrid system. You no longer hold the gun. You have nothing to contribute to the system. And so it's very easy to see that all jobs will be fully automated. The logic always was, okay, the job which was automated is gone, but now we have this new job which we don't know how to automate, and so you can get new, maybe better job doing this advanced technology control. But if every job is automated, I mean, by definition, you have 100% unemployment. There are still jobs which are kind of prestige jobs because it's human desire to get human-made art or maybe man-made, uh, handmade items, uh, expensive and luxury items, but they are a tiny part of the market. If AI can do better in any domain, humans are not competitive. So all of us are going to lose our jobs, some sooner, some later, but I don't see any job which cannot be automated if you have human-level intelligence by definition. So your thesis is that in the future, that once the AIs pass our abilities, even a relatively small amount, every new job that comes along, they'll just learn quicker than we will. And therefore, uh, it's kind of like you never, you never find any way to use it. You're always just superfluous to the system. All right. And the new jobs will not be initially designed for a human operator. They'll be basically streamlined for machines in the first place. So we won't have any competitive advantage. Right now, for example, our cars are designed for humans. If you want to add 
self-driving component to it. You have to work with a wheel and brake pedals and all that uh, to make it uh, switch. Whereas if from the beginning you're designing it to work with machines, you have smart roads, smart signs, humans are not competitive at any point. There is never an entry point where a human is a better answer. So let me, let me do a sanity check at this point, if I could. So humans have a, a, a brain that has 100 billion neurons and uh, countless connections between it. And it's, it's something we don't really understand very well. Um, and then it has perhaps emergent properties that give us a mind, that give us creativity and, and so forth. I mean, but it's just simple emergence. Um, we have this thing called consciousness, which I, I know you, you say it's not scientific, but it's, it, if you believe that you're conscious and nothing else, if you believe that you are conscious, then you have to grapple with the fact that maybe whatever that is, is a requisite for you being intelligent. So you have a brain we don't understand, an emergent mind we don't understand, a phenomenon, consciousness, the, the single fact we are most aware of in our own life. And all of that makes us this. Meanwhile, I have simple pieces of hardware that I'm mightily delighted when they work correctly. And what you're saying is, it seems you have one core assumption, which is, in the end, the human brain is a machine, and we can make a copy of that machine, and it's going to do everything a human machine can do, and, and even better. And that's, that, some might argue, is the non-scientific leap. You take something we don't understand, that has emergent properties we don't understand, that has consciousness which we don't understand, and you say, oh yes, it's 100% it's certain we're going to uh, be able to, to exceed our own intelligence. And there are those who would say that. Kevin Kelly calls that a cargo cult. It's like this idea that, oh, well, if we just build something just like it, it's going to be smarter than us. And, and it smacks to some of, of being completely unscientific. What would you say to that? So, one, it's already smarter than us in pretty much all domains. Whatever you're talking about, you know, playing games, investing in stock market, uh, you pick a single domain where we know what we're doing. And it seems like machines are either already at human level or quickly surpassing it. So it's not crazy to think that this trend will continue. It's been going on for many years. I don't need to fully understand the system to do better than a system. I don't know how to make a bird. I have no idea how the cells in a bird work. It seems to be very complex, but I take airplanes to go to Europe, not birds. Explain that sentence that you just said, quote, domains where we know what we are doing. Isn't that kind of the whole point? Is that there's this big area of things we don't know what we're doing. And, and where we don't understand how humans have the capabilities. How are they able to solve you know, non-algorithmic problems? How are humans able to uh, do the kind of transfer learning we do where we know one thing in one domain and we're really good at applying it in others? How, we don't know how children learn, how, how, how a two-year-old gets to be a full, you know, AGI. Um, so, granted, in the domains where we know what we're doing, all six of them, I mean, look, let's be real, uh, you know, for, for just to beat humans at one game chess took, you know, a multi-billion dollar company spending untold millions of dollars, all of the mental effort of of, of many, many people working for years 
and then you you finally get in this one tiny game you finally get a computer that can do better than a human and you say oh well that's it then we're done they can do anything now i mean that seems um over to extrapolate beyond what the data would suggest right so i'm not saying it's happening now i'm not saying computers today are capable of those things i'm saying there is not a reason for why it will not be true in maybe distant future as i said i don't make predictions about the date i'm just pointing out that if you can pick a specific domain of human activity and you can explain what they do in that domain it's not some random you know psychedelic uh, performance but uh, actually this is what they do then you have to explain why a computer will never be able to do that fair enough so you know the the, the most common question i assuming all of that is is going to happen and that gradually one thing by one thing by one thing the computers will will uh you know shoot ahead of us and and obsolete us and, and i understand you're not picking dates but presumably we can stack rank the order of things to some you know very coarse degree uh so the, the most common question i get from people is well what should i study what should my kids study in order to to be relevant you know to, to have jobs in the future what would what what do you you're bound to get that question and what, what would you say to it all right so that goes uh, directly to my paper on ai completeness and basically what is the last job to be automated it's a person doing ai research someone who's advancing machine learning the moment machines can automate that there are no other jobs left but that's the last job to go so definitely study computer science study machine learning study artificial intelligence anything which helps you in those fields mathematics physics will will be good for you don't major in areas in domains which we already know will be automated by the time you graduate as part of my job i advise students and i would never advise someone to become a truck driver it's funny mark cuban said um and and you know he's he's not necessarily in the field but but he has really interesting thoughts about it and he said that if he were starting over he would be a philosophy major and not not a technical job because the technical jobs are actually probably the easiest things for machines to do kind of that's in their own backyard but but the more abstract it is in a sense the longer it would take a computer to be able to do it what what would you say to that i agree it's an awesome job and if you can get one of those 100 jobs in the world i say go for it but the market is pretty small and competitive whereas for machine learning it's growing exponentially it's paying well and you can actually get in So um you mentioned a consciousness paper you're working on is that when will that come out Uh so that's the finished draft and it's just a survey paper of uh different methods people proposed to detect or measure consciousness and it's under review right now we're working on some revisions but basically we reviewed everything we could find in the last I don't know 10 15 years and uh, all of them measure some side effect of what people or animals do they never actually try to measure consciousness itself there is some variants which deal with quantum physics and collapse of wave functions through copenhagen interpretations and things like that but even that is not uh, well defined it's more of a philosophical kind of argument so 
it seems like there is this concept, but nobody can tell me what it does, why it's useful, and how to detect it or measure it. So it seems to be somewhat unscientific. Saying that, okay, but you feel it in you, is not an argument. I know people who say, well, I hear a voice of Jesus speaking to me. Should I take that as a scientific theory and study it? Just because someone is experiencing it, it doesn't make it a scientific concept. And then what other things, um, what other things tantalize us a little bit with some of the other things you're working on or some of the exciting things that you uh, might be publishing soon? So as I said, I'm looking at kind of limitations of what we can do in AI safety field. So one uh, problem I'm looking at is this idea of verifiability. What can be verified scientifically, specifically in mathematical proofs and computer software, trying to write very good software with no bugs is kind of a fundamental uh, holy grail of computer science, computer security, cybersecurity. And there is a lot of very good work on it, but it seems there are limitations on how good we can get. We can remove most bugs, but usually not all bugs. And if you have a system which makes you know a billion decisions a second, and there is one in a billion chance that it's getting something wrong, those mistakes quickly accumulate. Also, there is almost no successful work on how to do software verification for AI in novel domains, systems capable of learning. All the verification work we know about is for kind of deterministic software in specific domains. We can do, uh, you know, airplane autopilot software, things like that, verify it very well, but not something uh, with this ability to learn and self-improve. And that's a very hot open area of research. Two, two final questions, if I can. So the first one is, I'm sure you think through all these different kinds of scenarios, this could happen or that could happen. What, what would happen in your view if a single actor, be it a company or a machine, I mean, a, a government or what have you, a single actor invented a super intelligent system? Like, what, what would you see kind of the the ripple effects of that being. And so that's basically what singularity is, right? We get to that point where machines are the ones doing inventing and discovering and we no longer can keep up with what's going on. So making a prediction about that is by definition impossible. The most important point I'd like to stress, if they just happen to do it somehow by some miracle without any knowledge or understanding of safety and control and just created a random very smart system in that space of possible minds, there is almost a guarantee that it's a very dangerous system which will lead to horrible consequences for all of us. Because you mentioned that, you know, the first AGI is worth, it's, it's priceless, right? It's worth countless trillions of dollars. Right, it's, it's basically free labor of every kind, physical, uh, cognitive. So it is a huge economic uh, benefit, but uh, if in the process, Process of creating that benefit it destroys humanity. I mean, I'm not sure money is that valuable to you. And then final question. So you have a lot of scenarios that you know you. It's kind of like it, it seems your 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 job is to figure out how do we get into this future without blowing ourselves up. Can you paint me like give me the 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 optimistic scenario the 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 one possible way we can get through all of this. Uh, what would that look like to you? Let's, let's end on the optimistic note if we can. 
I'm not sure I have something very good to report. It seems like long term, everything looks pretty bleak for us. Either we're going to merge with machines and eventually become a bottleneck, which will be removed, or uh, machines will simply take over and will become quite uh, dependent on them deciding what to do with us. It could be reasonably okay existence with machines treating us well, or it could be something much worse. But um, short of some uh, external catastrophic change preventing development of this technology, I don't see a very good scenario where we are in charge of those uh, godlike machines and getting to live in paradise. It just doesn't seem very likely. So when you hear about, you know, um, there's a solar flare that just missed the Earth by, you know, six hours of orbit or something, are, are you sitting there thinking, ah, oh, I wish it had hit us and just like fried all these things and would buy humanity another 40 years to recover? I mean, would that be the, <laughs> the best scenario is that there's a button you could push that just did a giant electromagnetic pulse that just destroyed all electronics? Would you push oh, the button? I, I don't advocate any terrorist acts, natural or human caused, but it seems like it would be a good idea if people smart enough to develop this technology we're also smart enough to understand possible consequences and exit accordingly. All right. Well, this has been fascinating, and I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I loved it. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, I host another podcast about artificial intelligence. It's a daily podcast called The AI Minute. And every day, it's a minute or two of reflections about artificial intelligence. It's available wherever you find your podcasts of choice. But in addition, it's an Alexa skill, so it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device. Yes.